Hey, what's up, revelers and weirdos? Welcome to Scaring Sam, and I am your host, James Reese, aka the man out of time, forever stuck in his godforsaken decade of the 80s. Sam isn't here this week because she is done. Slashy Summer Nights has basically destroyed any nostalgia she had left for the decade. If she saw a perm, if she saw puffer jackets, she'd probably have a nervous breakdown right now. I think even if the Goonies came on TV, she would kick it in and set the house on fire. I honestly think I've ruined Stranger Things for her. So she's taken a break this week from trashy 80s horror movies, bringing the season to the end with vicious fun. 2021's love letter to this decade. So obviously... Sam's not here to enjoy it, but I am. I'm going to enjoy it. I did enjoy it. So we're going to talk about that this week. <sighs> what have I been up to lately? Aside from the myriad of bullshit me and Sam are dealing with adulting, I entered a screenwriting competition on the fly. Fright Fest's New Blood. I didn't intend to. I was considering attending Fright Fest this year. Maybe see Neil Blumkemp's latest, Demonic. But then you've got to look at the runtime for the film, whether there'd be a Q&A afterwards, and weigh in the time of the last train home. So already I'm not going to enjoy myself if I attend this event, because I have this deep-seated fear of missing the last train home from London. Why, you may ask, who knows? But this irrational fear is present and I think it stems from laziness. If I miss the last train, I have to work out what night bus I need to catch, sit around on it till it reaches the last stop, for how long that's going to take, and then pay out for a cab home. Or I could be one of those people who wait around in the underground until the first tube of the morning, fall asleep from exhaustion, and wake up to find a crackhead stealing my wallet and tickling my bumhole. Who wants to deal with something like that? No one. So I entered Frightfest's scriptwriting competition instead. Can you guess I don't like London? Anyway, today we're talking about Vicious Fun, one of the most endearing horrors of the year so far. Basically, this is my pitch to encourage you to watch it. I guess that means free advertisement for Shudder, as I believe it's an exclusive on there, but it is what it is. Evan Marsh plays Joe, a pretentious film critic for horror magazine Vicious Fanatics, patronising schlock movie directors and all the genre cliches and trappings that they fall back on, while he hasn't created anything of substance himself. You should front a horror podcast. When he's confronted on this by horror director Jack Potwood, who mispronounces the magazine title as Vicious Fun, he later prattles off his own obnoxious script into a dictaphone, while swirling round a glass of red wine. What better way to emphasise you're a pompous twat, absorbed by your own self-importance, than to have the character muse over some 
red wine. That's as effective as having a character chew on an apple to zone in on how much of an asshole they are. I'm looking at you, Kang. It's a tired visual cue, but it's overdone because it works. Oh, this guy's chewing on an apple while bossing around the main character. What a prick. TV and film has hardwired our brains to be repelled by something so innocuous. What I'm saying is, Joe is a movie snob. I'm a movie snob, and I bet a good number of you listening are movie snobs too. We're passionate about horror, and we can't help getting frustrated when writers and directors don't express that degree of fanfare by churning out mediocre work, or when those around us, Sam, can't relate. Can't enjoy the nuances and complexities that are required to make something genuinely scary and unnerving. So, Joe isn't the most likeable of protagonists, but it makes sense to experience this situation through his eyes. He has enough of the underdog dynamic for us to get behind him, and the best laughs come from his everyman reactions to the absurdity of the situation. Joe is hung up on his roommate, Sarah, who he catches enjoying another man's gear stick outside following a date. Jealous, Joe decides to follow her lover, Bob, played excellently by Ari Millen, to a bar where he's quickly conned into paying out for a round. After he drinks his pain away and sleeps it off in a closet, Joe staggers into an after-hours support group for serial killers. Following a tense scene surrounding the group share, Joe quickly realises he's in too deep, and once his cover is blown by Bob, he must survive the night with the aid of Carrie, played by Amber Goldfarb, who too infiltrated the group to enact some vengeance upon some unknowing serial killers. In a nutshell, that's the premise of Vicious Fun. I did start to question whether the rest of the film would revolve entirely around this support group for serial killers, whether it could sustain my interest if it took place in this one room like a play, like last year's Scare Me which bored me to tears. It could have worked. A slow burn to see the killers slowly begin to see through Joe's desperate lies. But that's not what we got here. Soon the bodies start dropping. Did I mention it takes place sometime in the 80s? I think we can all agree that the 80s nostalgia trip is on its last legs. The tyres have blown on this trend, and now we're hitchhiking our way to the 90s, in time for the next Candyman and Scream outings. I'm amazed Fear Street Trilogy had the tenacity to dodge the decade entirely. However, Vicious Fun doesn't rely on all the on-the-nose pop culture references to really drill in when this film takes place. Rather, the time period serves as a love letter to a decade that absolutely went stir-crazy for the slasher genre, as we discovered this summer. Oh, how we discovered. Whew. And because the lack of budget prevented the use of timely licensed songs, we get to enjoy a sweet synthwave score by Steph Copeland that complements the neon-lit aesthetic. Then there's Bob, a riff on Christian Bale's Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, in appearance anyway, if he raided Ryan Gosling's wardrobe in Drive, Fritz the Clown's psychological makeup reflects Bateman's more. A lizard in a man suit. Whereas, 
In terms of character, Bob reminds me of a murderously unhinged Matthew McGonaghy. Go check out his posts on Instagram. Bob has the exact same energy and mannerisms. The degree of crazy he can convey with only his eyes is so entertaining to watch. Ari Millen, not Matthew McGonaghy. I bought your book, okay? I like you. Actually, Sam got it for me for Christmas, but I like you, Matthew McGonaghy. I haven't got round to reading it yet, but I like you. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Alright, alright, alright. Bob is the living embodiment of the cocaine fueled excess of yuppie 80s culture. He revels in the carnage he unleashes upon our heroes. When Bob is masquerading as a cop, he whips out a fake moustache. The embodiment of manly manliness for the man's man that all the alpha male cops rock in the movie. Like twisted versions of Tom Atkins, absorbed in their thick-browed, gross masculinity, but lacking all of Atkins' charm. Bob has fun chewing the scenery, yet remains a perfect foil for our protagonists. Here's the thing, as much as I love Bob in Vicious Fun, and how much he makes for a good main villain, the overemphasis on him means the other serial killers get overshadowed. They could have had a lot more fun playing around with Mike as the Jason Voorhees substitute instead of just giving us that knowing wink. The way Carrie describes his MO as targeting virgins and always leaving one victim to escape is a joyful dig at the archetype character that represents the slasher genre more than any other in the 80s. I felt it a missed opportunity not to pick further holes in the cliches that Mike could portray. You wouldn't need to be heavy handed in your approach either. It wouldn't descend into scary movie parody if you found the right balance and based on the movie, they could have achieved balancing that fine line. Mike is flanked by a psychopathic clown, a by-the-book military contract killer and a cannibal chef. Plenty of opportunities amongst this rogues gallery for some inspired ghoulish carnage, yet these guys merely become flunkies to Bob. Like the other killers, the sadly overlooked Carrie has an interesting backstory that's surely ripe to plunder in a potential sequel. But that's the only thing I can scoff at in Vicious Fun. That's it. And I can live with the lack of characterization for the other killers because the rest of the film makes up for it in abundance. In abundance. Except the kills. For a film surrounding a merry band of serial killers, you hope for some memorable, unique kills. But with most of these guys not given the opportunity to flex their creative muscles, all we're given are some pretty generic stuff. But they're the only criticisms I have towards vicious kills, okay? That's it. I can poke a lot more holes. I mean, potholes. I mean, massive canyons of holes in other horror films. And I can throw a stone at dozens of these films. I mean, come on. I mean, the amount of tripe that comes out these days, the amount of generic, cliche, boring horror films that come out these days. There's a dime a dozen, okay? So a couple of criticisms towards this film ain't a lot to scoff at, is it? The stakes stay high, the suspense never wavers, and we're kept engaged throughout with the stylized action and relishings of gore. Vicious Fun is a joyful, funny ode to 80s horror, and yes, 
It's vicious and fun from start to end. So, vicious fun. Did you see it? Did you like it? What did you think? Let us know. It's about time people started commenting on our podcast. A bit of interaction? Yes, please. Ooh, boy. So that's it. That is the end of Slashy Summer Nights, our little celebration of trashy 80s slasher horror films. Did you enjoy it? Or did you wish you was dead, like Sam did, by the end of it? It was a struggle to get through some of those films. And Sam almost raged to quit the podcast. That's how bad it got. I think I can honestly say Sam questioned our entire relationship by the time we came to the end of Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yeah, the driller killer almost ended our relationship. Nice one, guy. So I think we're done with the 80s for the time being. It's a shame. I wouldn't mind covering John Carpenter's The Thing, Fright Night, Return of the Living Dead, My God, the amount of timelessly classic 80s horror films we have yet to cover. But I feel inclined to scare the shit out of my fiancé, so it won't be for some time before we get to these films. I have to prioritise, and scaring my fiancé to an inch of her life is my prerogative, okay? Should we have another round of... Everybody loves a cliché. Um, okay, for a film that loves 80s horror, there's not a lot of cliches present, so kudos to you guys. At a stretch, maybe... The Power Walking Killer? Maybe... The Police Arrive Too Late? Uh, Not really. Maybe Investigating in the Dark? But that's it, really, so... Well done to you, Vicious Fun. Well done for being cliche-free. So, this was Scaring Sam. I was your host, James Reese, And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ScaringSamPod. And you can contact us at ScaringSamPod at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, yeah, tonight.